the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a little oral sessions. We are doing the best of episode. That's what we do on the weekends. On Saturdays, we drop a little mishmash of what happened throughout the week from prior episodes. This was a fun week. We had on the co-creators of Dark Side of the Ring, Jason Eisner, Evan Husney. These two dudes are the masterminds, the creative brilliance behind this incredible show, Dark Side of the Ring, available on Vice, on Fubo TV, uh, if you're in the U.S. as well. Such a great show, documenting some of the sketchy-ass shit that's happened in professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, they tell these stories so beautifully, and they're so interesting and shot so well. And, you know, just talking to these two dudes about their love of wrestling, their love of the production side of getting the show up and running, bringing it to Vice, bringing it to fruition, And we also talk about some crazy stories that never actually made it to the air uh, and some of the stories that they still want to cover. So season three has just debuted, just came out on May the 6th, starting off with the uh, the two part episode of Brian Pillman. If you've not watched that, I highly recommend you get on there and check it out. This season is jam packed 14 episodes coming up. So buckle up for season three of dark side of the ring. And then also this week I had on the legendary six time women's champion. She is an absolute gem of a human Mickey James. So of course, you know, WWE had their, uh, their recent releases, uh, just a couple weeks ago. And Mickey James, unfortunately, was one of those people found on that list, which I think um, was questioned by a lot of people. I mean, somebody like Mickey James has a lot to bring to the table. Uh, you know, whether we have her in the ring, behind the scenes, I mean, just the mind of somebody like her who's been there and done it all, uh, you know, amongst some of the other incredible, notable names that were unfortunately also uh, on that release list. But I've got Mickey James on. We talk about Trash Bag Gate 2021, talk about a bunch of the new projects that she's got coming up. She's got tons of irons in the fire. So we break it all down. So without further ado, guys, let's get into it. Here it is the best of the recap of oral sessions from this week. Here we go. Okay, so how did the whole concept come together for you guys to put together Dark Side of the Ring? Well, basically a few years ago, Evan and I, we like, you know, we were obsessed with the history of wrestling and we were kind of developing, like taking all these stories that we were researching and developing like a, like a narrative scripted, like TV series idea. Like we wanted to do kind of like, you know, the Sopranos, epic boogie nights telling of the, you know, the old territory days of wrestling. Um, But when we took that to Hollywood and we pitched that to people, it just like went over every executive's like head. And so we thought, well, we're not going to get this off the ground, but like, let's see if we can try and, you know, tell a story or two out of in, in, in a documentary format. And so we became obsessed with the story of Bruiser Brody, which was our pilot episode for season one. And, you know, at first we thought that was going to be it. Like it could just be this one documentary, but that then, you know, we got the order to make more episodes. And so we made six of them and that did well. And then the rest was history after that. 
So what was the pitching process like for you guys trying to get the show up and running, trying to take it to the executives in Hollywood that just weren't getting the wrestling brand? We mentioned it earlier that, you know, wrestling content, there's so much of it now. Back then, this is even before Glow came out. There was nobody had any interest. It was like wrestling, uh, you know, whatever that, that, you know, hokey stuff, you know, what, you know, so there was no appetite for it in TV or in movies or anything. So we were pretty discouraged and it was like kind of an effort to like prove that these stories are you know, cause growing up as fans and, you know, watching all the shoot interviews on YouTube and everything like, you know, you know, these stories are, are wild, you know, we had the opportunity to tell them, uh, I think non-wrestling fans would be fascinated by them, you know, not just fans, you know? So the Brody one really fit that for us. Cause it was like, this is a true crime story, like entangled in the world of wrestling, like in the locker room. And here's a guy who's very different than his in-ring character and he has a family, but then like, you know, the, the wrestling storylines spill out into the courtroom and, you know, who knows what's real. And, you know, this guy gets off for, you know, essentially murdering Bruiser Brody. And it's, it was just a wild story. So I remember pitching it as that, like, here's true crime in the world of wrestling. That's what we want to tell. And, you know, Jason and I just like really wanted to see wrestling content or wrestling documentary stuff, like just elevated, like all the wrestling documentaries, which we love. There's many we love or shoot interviews. You know, you watch a lot of these shoot interviews and they're all like, you know, shot on someone's height camera in a, in a like Ramada, you know, which is cool. I'm down for that because it adds to the experience, but we're like, if you could get a great lens, awesome, you know, music, just elevate it, make it seem like the most important thing in the world. Like, I think it would work. And so that was kind of the whole pitch was like, this is a wild world. And then the Brody story just being as, as, as wild as, as it is, was kind of the one that really, you know, pushed it over the edge, I think for the net for, for vice. So, okay. So that's, so you guys brought it to vice, Were you already working for vice at the time. I was, yeah, I, I was there as like a staff producer producing documentaries for them. And, uh, I pitched it to my department there and they were like, this is too expensive. There's no way we can afford this. Sorry. And then they launched the TV network shortly thereafter. And then they were like, all right, if you want to pitch ideas for the TV show, like let's hear them. And then I was like, I got one. And then it just kind of worked. It just fell into play. It took a while. I mean, I'm oversimplifying it. It was months and months and months of convincing and hurdles and, you know, money and budgets and things like that. But yeah, it took about a year probably before we started It's really funny how that kind of goes. Cause I mean, even just like some pitches that I've had, like even, especially since I've left WWE, like taking general meetings with other places or like, tell me about wrestling. Like people are really starting. And I shouldn't just say starting. I mean, obviously it's been around for forever, but like you said, it can be this very niche world that the rest of Hollywood kind of keeps at an arm's distance where now I think people are really starting to be like, okay, wait, first of all, the fan base for wrestling is absolutely insane and voracious and they want to consume everything. So I think like other networks starting to realize that. I mean, obviously you look at shows like Young Rock, you look at what A&E is now doing with the documentaries. Um, One thing that I really love that you guys do is having the reenactments. Your reenactments are so good. I love watching them. When John and I, we were watching back the, the bit for for what he's doing with Nick Gage's episode with the pizza slicer episode. He's like, oh my God, look at the guy like being me with the pizza slicer. It's It's nuts. The pizza slicer thing real quick, that was like out of necessity because 
the actual footage of the pizza cutter in the mouth was a no, 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 no. That was like the first like hard no I think we've ever gotten from standards. Rightfully Can't show that. so. I agree with them because I don't like the original. <laughs> we wanted to have reenactments in the show, but I mean, we we were like, yeah, we'll figure it out down the line. We'll just, you know, get sets and we'll have actors and period. And I was like, no, but we can't afford that. And Jason came up, had this eureka moment with some action figures and figured it out. I was staying at Evan's apartment in, in Brooklyn and we were developing the show and we're trying to figure out like, how are we going to do these reenactments, you know, to do period and build sets and all the costumes and the casting, like, you know, it seemed almost impossible, but I was like staging out like some shots just with like my cell phone. I turned it in, I put it into slow motion. I took a flashlight and I was shooting the scene with Tony Atlas, uh, trying to save Bruiser Brody's life, um, from the pilot episode. And I did that. And then I actually like filmed myself saying some, a couple of Dutch's lines I've heard in previous interviews. And then I cut it together with the music and then I showed it to Evan when he came back to the apartment. And at first it was like, damn, can we do this? With the action figures? like Did we just do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, because, like, in wrestling, like, all the, re- like, usually when you just see, like, a, you know, a wrestler's character's silhouette, like, if you just saw the silhouette, you know that that's, like, that iconic, like, character. So, we just have to try and get the silhouettes down you know, that can go a long way. And uh, hopefully, you know, the idea the, if, that we want to do is with like, with everyone speaking directly to camera and with like the music having this sort of like, you know, Philip Glass kind of trance-like quality. And then with these blurry reenactments that people feel like they're transported like into these long lost memories kind of. Yeah. I mean, I would say mission accomplished. It's been such a fun journey watching these and like some like stories that I've been unfamiliar with. And like, I have a lot of times people are like, Hey, I want to get into wrestling. Where should I start? I'm like, well, what side of wrestling do you want to know about? And I often will point people in your guys' direction. I'm like, if you want to get hooked into some like crazy shit and like know about some of like the villain circus, crazy bullshit that can happen in wrestling. I mean, go check out dark side of the ring. It's so cool. How did you guys meet? It was uh, at Sundance uh, in 2009, I think. How fancy. What a posh answer. I know. We were at Sundance at the cocktail party. <laughs> Kate Hudson yeah, was there. Right. It's fine. Evan was working for this like uh, indie uh, horror movie company called Troma that were responsible for Toxic Avenger and Class of Newcomb High. And they, every year, would set up <laughs> down the street as kind of like this punk response to the Sundance Festival. This is Film not Festival. glamorous. This is no glamour. Okay. <laughs> you guys were at the underbelly of Sundance. Beneath that, yeah. I had a short film at the time called Treevenge playing at Sundance. And it was, it, it's about Christmas trees fighting back on Christmas day. And that made it into Sundance. And, but the trauma guys wanted me to like come up and like hang out with them. And I met Evan there and we just hit it off like instantly. And I think wrestling was one of the first things that we really bonded over. Because it's like when you meet like another wrestling fan, especially when you're in the entertainment world that like we were saying kind of like pushes wrestling to the side. When you find somebody else in the entertainment world that has the same appreciation for wrestling, you then just like instantly get it. You know, you yeah, you just like you have an understanding that, you know, everyone else at this 
festival doesn't quite have, you know? <laughs> and so how are you like at a festival like that and start talking about wrestling? Like, how does that even come up amongst two grown ass men that are just like hanging out being like, yo, you catch whatever show. It wasn't just wrestling though. Cause it was also like, <clears throat> you know, we had the interest in like weird Canadian, you know, shot on super eight horror films and a lot of parallels. It wasn't just wrestling. It was like movies, wrestling, music, you know, like some metal crossover, like just lots of different things that just were, we were like, wow, we had similar childhoods, but you know, we're raised in different parts of, you know, North America. I think from there it was kind of like, okay, it spiraled into that. And then like wrestling was like, wow, we did have a similar childhood with like wrestling had a profound effect on us as kids, but also creatively, like we're inspired by, you know, like the color palettes of eighties WWF is like, you know, just unbelievable, you know? And, and like all that, that had a profound impact on us. And we had like defining moments as wrestling fans, as kids, you know, Jason has the best one ever with, you know, your encounter with Skinner, you know? Oh, you're <laughs> you know, going to be like, telling me that story in a second. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, come on, Skinner, please. My uncle took me to WWF came when I was like 10 years old and like Hogan was on the card. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage was and me and my cousin, my uncle, we were sitting right along the guardrail, like kind of midway to the entrance and to the ring. And like Macho Man, like slapped my hand and it was, you know, blew my mind. And then like, out comes Skinner, you know, who's got this like Southern Outback gimmick. And me and my cousin are like yelling at him. We're like, you suck, you suck. And he locked eyes onto us and he just like came over and he like grabbed us by the scruffs of our like shirts and pulled us over the guardrail. And like with his like chewing tobacco, I could smell. He's just like leans in and he's like, I'm going to skin you. <laughs> and we were like, and he dropped us and we were so scared. We didn't make another peep like the rest of the night. That's such an amazing story because I feel like the story here is like, man, like Bret Hart came down and gave me the glasses. Like it's always these like feel good moments. You're like, no, I was threatened by Skinner. <laughs> the most yeah. Dartmouth thing yeah. that could have happened to you happened to you. <laughs> that's, that's very Dartmouth. Are you in Dartmouth right now? Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here right now. I'm in my place in, yeah. in Dartmouth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, man. Send Canada my best. Yeah. I miss it. <laughs> I miss it deeply. My my grandparents lived in in Picto, Nova Scotia. No so way, I used to, really? Yeah, yeah. I used to go out there all the time. I was just doing an interview talking about it. I was like, man, that old pulp mill smell of Picto, Nova Scotia. Gosh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. crazy. Wow. Yeah, I, I know. Didn't know that. I love Amazing. that. Yeah. East Coast represent. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, so season six for you guys is starting on May 6th. You guys have just released all of the episodes. You guys are cranking out some gems. What are we looking forward to this season? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, it was, it was, you know, when we, after we finished season two and then they vice called us and we're like, you know, let's do another season. And it was like, how about 14 episodes? And we're just like 14. Like that's such how a big How many were in the number. previous seasons? So both seasons put together one and two was 16 all to said and told. Oh so it's pretty much like, well, let's just double everything, which is great. I don't want to feel like I'm complaining, but it was just like a, uh, it was like an undertaking, uh, just with, you know, the circumstances of the globe being what they are. And, uh, you know, we'd obviously thought about a lot of episodes that we wanted to do personally, stories we wanted to look into, but it was also like, okay, we got to like do some, some heavy research and we got to reach out to the fan base. What do you guys want to see? And so, you know, you got your deathmatch stuff, you know, you got your, uh, like, you know, like, you know, bio stories, but you also have like, you know, true crime stuff comes back and then you have some deep cuts. And we, and we always love the deep cuts because those ones are like, 
we don't know any, hardly anything going in. And then we find out something crazy. And like the one that comes to mind for that is talk about Canadian story. The uh, Johnny canine bruiser bedlam story which is about a guy who was just like ostensibly a jobber in the WWF, but he had this whole secret life of being the president of a biker gang in Ontario. He's like linked to the bombing of a police station in Hamilton. And, and also a like potentially he's, 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 he was never found guilty of it, but he, he was supposedly linked to a, a double murder that occurred uh, somewhere also in, in Ontario. And so, that was just like, whoa. So now we're getting involved in some crazy. See, not all Canadians are nice, everybody. We got, <laughs> a, like... we got a checkered past. Well, I was just going to say, it's funny because my dad like helps to write the voiceover, you know, for the show, which is funny. Like my dad helps to write the voiceover and and he laughed when I was, he, had, he were writing the lines for Canadian Biker Gang. And he's like, Canadian Biker Gang, how bad can they be? You know, <laughs> you know like, <laughs> Hey bud, you want to yeah. come down, meet me at the Max Milk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing bad is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so. not happening. So just to get it out there, because I have the list in front of me. So you guys have the Brian Pillman, Nick Gage, Collision in Korea, Ultimate Warrior, can't wait to see that. Grizzly Smith, Dynamite Kid, uh, Johnny Canine, the one you were just saying. The Steroid Trials, dun, dun, dun. I cannot wait for that one, too. Um, FMW, Plane Ride from Hell, Luna Vachon, XPW, and Chris Canyon. So, yeah, you guys are, like, touching on everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean. Uh, what episode are you most proud of? Like, the whole show? Of this season. We only really truthfully... I hope this isn't breaking kayfabe too much, but we only really have like the first four done. Uh, we have some reenactment shooting to do the back seven still, but um, so it's not fair to all the episodes to pick one now because we're not sure how they're going to evolve, but there's a lot of excitement. I mean, Johnny K9 is one that I'm personally very excited about. Brian Pillman is one too. I mean, Jason, like, you know, that story is one we've always wanted to tell and, and to be able to, you know, have, have, Got Steve Austin for that show was personally uh, an awesome moment, you know, uh, to be able to get him in the show. There must be some crazy shit that has happened while you guys are filming. There's oh. got to be. <laughs> the The documentary filming this year has been, you know, has been tough because of, you know, the pandemic and everything. And, you know, this this season, we're not normally we would just be flying everywhere and bringing all the gear, flying all around, just, you know, boom, 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 film all the interviews. This year we did it all. RV style. So the whole show, um, a lion's share of the 105 interviews we did for season three is all on the road in an RV across country multiple times. So it's been these like epic wrestling road trips that we've done. It's almost a show within a show. We've seen some crazy characters and we've been like on the road during the pandemic, seeing the different states and how they're reacting, the, the, the various political climates. You know, it's all leading up to the election. It was just a f wild time to be doing all of this and kind of seeing a snapshot of everything. And of course, you know, you're meeting characters in the wrestling business. So you're going to come across a few interesting uh, personalities. <laughs> Anything that you can share or no? I mean, I can share the, the Nick Gage one. <laughs> Here we go. All right. So John obviously knows this guy very well. His name is John Zandig. So John Santic is the former owner of CZW Wrestling. I have no deathmatch, like, you know, I, I was never a deathmatch wrestling guy. It's not necessarily my cup of tea. I've learned to appreciate and I can get behind Nick, you know, and I can, yeah, Nick, you know, but Same. a lot of, I'm with you. <laughs> a lot of it does <laughs> kind of make my stomach turn and makes me very nervous and, and, um, so John Zandig is this, is this fellow who, uh, 
you know, was essentially the, you know, Nick and John's boss at one point at CCW. And so we wanted to get him in the story because he really was a big part of Nick getting into the business and Nick's rise through, through, through CCW and all that stuff. And, um, oh boy, just that day planning the interview, uh, was, was just like, there were red flags, you know, it was like, okay, he was really just on edge the whole time about like time when you're going to be here. Anyway, we, we roll up to, to his house and we're 10 minutes late and we missed one turn in the RV. And if you miss one turn in an RV, you're screwed for about 10, 15 minutes. So we get there 10 minutes late and we're driving past his house and on the front lawn is a Trump flag. That's the biggest one I've ever seen in my entire life. It has a tank on it that says Trump on it. Like it's the, what's the iconography of this man's home. Oh my so I'm like, Oh no, here we go. One of these. Okay. Okay. So let me go in guys first. I'll go in. We're walking up to the house. Brave of you. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta do it, you know, put yourself out there. So <laughs> yeah. walking up to the house and all of a sudden I see like terrified children running out of the house. That's not good. Crying children, screaming. Uh, this isn't good. And I'm just like, Oh boy. I think maybe his partner or something was like, uh, he's real mad at you real mad. And I'm just like, Oh God, you know, I'm thinking this is not good. So I walk up to the house and <laughs> he's, he, I'm like looking at this Trump flag and staring at it like, Oh Jesus. And then my phone starts ringing. And if you ever seen like when a stranger calls that movie, like it's, it's like the moment when they're like, you know, it's it, the calls coming from in the house. Like I had that moment <laughs> where I looked down and it was one of our producers and I'm like picking it up, staring at the Trump flag and going on the phone and, and listening. And he's like, and she's like, don't go in there. Don't go. He doesn't want you in the house. Turn away, move away. And then just as soon as I'm hearing this, the door bursts open and this man is very large and uh, tall. And it's like, it's like, you know, Chris Farley, like man down by a river. And he's like, kind of just coming out like you guys screwed it up. You screwed it up. And he's just like Trump hat, Trump, everything screaming at us and in my face and coming right up here. Like you blew it boys. Get out of my fucking property and blah, blah, blah. And it was crazy. And he just like threw us off. And it's like, as soon as I saw that flag and like everything and him barreling out, I was like, I just needed the one reason to be like, no, I'm not doing this, you know? And then, so as soon as he's coming out, like, yeah, blow it. I was just like, okay, see you later. You know, like, you know, like just, Bye. You, know, later, you know, and then, and, and, and it was a, it was a bummer. And I, I don't mean to, you know, throw this guy under the bus, but it just sucked for Nick. I felt like it was such a, not, I mean, yeah, sure. I'm late. You can blame me. You can be mad at me. That's fine. But it sucks for Nick, you know, because it's like, you know, Nick, this guy was a big part in Nick's life and it would have been great to get in there. And, uh, but yeah, talk about harm's way. I mean, I, I don't know what was going to happen. And then we wound up inadvertently following him to Walmart. And then he was at Walmart while we're in Walmart. Oh no, you couldn't escape this guy. <laughs> All right. So there's obviously plenty going on with you these days. Specifically, I'm going to get into something that's brand new is um, you were trending on Twitter. I was trending. What happened, Mick? So many things have <laughs> happened, you know, Renee, it's been a whirlwind. You, If you know me, you know, I'm a very sarcastic kind of snark, sure. like in a loving way. I'm never I don't feel at least I hope I'm not like hateful, I guess it would be the word, but I just, you know, I definitely did not interpret it that way at all. But again, I know you, so I know your tone. I understood where it came from. And you even said during the initial tweet of like, Hey, super grateful for everything with WWE, but like, come on. Um, and then that just snowballed real quick. Wow. Took off. Yeah. It's funny because I had texted you, um, because I had also had my stuff sent to me in a trash bag. Um, but I just 
Honestly, I just didn't think much of it, but I had something similar. I saw Chelsea Green tweeted that, um, or what she posted on her Instagram. Or, geez. Wow. I just turned into like my own mom. She was on the Twitter, <laughs> the Instagram. She was on whatever. She was on her own podcast. Facebook. Jesus. So she's on her <laughs> podcast and she was saying how she got her bag that had stuff that wasn't even hers. It was like Natty's boots right. or something. And that's what happened to yeah. mine. So I ended up texting a bunch of the girls in the locker room and I, I ended up with like a bunch of makeup, like a ton of makeup. Someone's right full makeup bag. And I was like, I don't know who this is. And nobody claimed it. So right. That is what it is. But, um, okay. So just walk me through like what happened. So you get your, you get your package at home, you send out the tweet well, and boxes. then like what happened? I have two boxes, but cause I apparently had a lot of stuff there. You know, I kind of in that moment was like, Oh shit, they still do this. Like, that's kind of funny. Like on par for like in that moment, like, I don't know. It was like in a space of like, you know, how, when you feel you, when you first leave and you're just like, Oh, that's kind of kind of sucks but there's always like so many things and I'm all like we are always working on hopefully other things and other projects and like looking at all this other stuff so you do have more freedom and space to be able to explore those opportunities but at the same time I was just kind of like ah oh, I just wish for so many things and then I get my stuff and it's in the trash bag and I'm just like oh it's on par whatever because it's just like it was I don't even feel like it was like something that was malicious or anything like that it's just like kind of thoughtless and tone deaf that's all I, I can kind of like picture the person packing it up and not really thinking twice about it. Cause that's how it's just obviously been done for so right. long and no thought put behind it. Not thinking of like what that subliminal message might be that the person on the other end is receiving the right. hurt feelings. And, and also, I mean, just for like, I'm sure obviously you must've been talking to Chelsea and I don't know if you've been talking to the Iconics or Samoa Joe or anything during these releases, but what was sort of the vibe from you guys? Did all of that just come out of left field? I mean, I, I know there's like that post mania sort of release people sort of anticipate it, but knowing that so many people had been released prior, like early on in the pandemic, it kind of felt like, why did people need to be let go right now? Well, yes, I agree. And especially it's like, oh, budget cuts and they're seem to be doing very well. But at the same time, I was like, they always have like that cleanup after mania. They always do it. Like, it's like a traditional thing. I feel like there's always people and maybe it was less people this year. I don't really know. And I just, for me, I didn't really not foresee it coming. Cause I think I'd been in this space for so long. I'd been sitting injured, just kind of hanging out and trying out these other roles. So I just felt like I was in this kind of weird space anyway. I wasn't so shocked for myself. There was a few, like, I was pretty shocked about Billy Kay. I was like, Oh, that's kind of weird. Like I just didn't see that one coming. Even them splitting them up too was like, come on. But I think they're both going to thrive. They're going to do amazing. And Chelsea's already like, she's so funny, dude. She's great. And, and the thing is, is like kind of going back to what you said, it's like, you know, as much as you can anticipate and sort of know that that like, you know, they kind of clean house after WrestleMania um, and maybe not so much anticipating at this time or that there wasn't as many people, but it was like really impactful people that were let go in this round and, you know, no disrespect to, to other, you know, situations that have happened like this before, but I mean, to see you be released and Samoa Joe and the Iconics and like, yeah, it just, it just seemed a little mind boggling of like, wait, what, how is there not space for these people? How is there not creative for these people? I don't understand. I think because I've been there before and I was in a much different space then. And I think from that, like that was really in the space when I thought about like, Oh, I'm just going to, take a picture of it. Cause it's funny because myself and Chelsea's or Billy Kay's or Peyton's shoes, I would never post that picture then because like there, you're always thinking like, Oh, well there's, 
you know, a chance for me to come back and there's all this other stuff and you don't want to ruffle feathers or you don't want to, you don't also want to make it seem like negative from, because we are so grateful for what we do and the opportunities and the platforms. It's just more about like, oh, you kind of feel that going out the door of like, okay, here's your, here's your shit kind of way. I always find that conversation, or at least like my own internal conversation with that mindset of like, of course, we're all very grateful for the opportunities that we have and the platforms that we've been given and, you know, working with WWE and that obviously leverages us moving into things outside of WWE and what that future is going to look like. But I also think, you know, don't take any credit away from the hard work that everyone else puts into to either be signed by WWE. You're not plucked from complete obscurity. I mean, you've already had your wheels in motion. Then you get in there, you're still busting your ass. So, I mean, it is, yes, of course, thank you for all those opportunities and for all the time that we've had there, but it's not like you were completely just handed these opportunities. No, you have to bust your ass to get there. You (laughs) know, you you work so, so hard. And I think, you know, obviously it's interesting because most of the stuff has been to women because we have our drawers there. And like the men, like obviously some of them have like jackets and more elaborate costumes, but they mostly carry all their stuff with them. So they take it with them. And then that's one of the reasons why it's been just women. you look back and it's like Gail and, and so many people said, oh yeah, that happened to me too. And then it's just like, Oh yeah. Well, it's just one of those weird things. It's like, I guess we didn't really think I was just kind of like, Oh yeah. What was the conversation you had afterwards? I'm, I'm sure TR must've reached out to you and I, Hunter had tweeted about it and Steph had tweeted about it. Did you actually talk to them personally? Well, I talked to Vince personally and I spoke to Johnny after, and it was just nicer to have a conversation with Vince and for him. He's like, I, this is not what I think of you. And I respect you as a talent. For me, that was like, the conversation I guess I needed to have to say like, okay, that's cool. Like, it's cool. Like I'm not, it's not like I'm out here going like, Oh, F those guys or anything. Like, Cause it's just not who I am. I would just rather be like, Oh, okay. But it's nice to bring awareness to it. And it's just more nice to say, Hey, we can't treat people like this. Like you can't do that. That's bullshit. Like just have a little respect in that sense. And I don't feel like it was an intentional disrespect, but it just more goes in line with how it goes sometimes. You know, that's sort of just like how it goes. It's like as much as like Hunter and Steph and Vince aren't aware of what's happening. That's the problem with such a giant machine is there's all these different arms that are taking care of things and people don't realize how much stuff like that happens and how that's going to make somebody feel, especially in a circumstance like that. It's so awkward because everything can get spun 10,000 ways, you know, and I'm never I'm just not a negative person. and I just don't feel like it's good to even bring that energy as I'm working on all my other projects and stuff into that space. So I'm just like, you know, it is that you're grateful for them, but you did bust your ass and you did create a name and and a legacy all in its own for yourself. And hopefully that meant something and it was awesome. So, yeah. Okay. So in your time kind of winding down, even if you weren't so much aware of it, but as, I mean, you had been out with an injury, it was your knee, correct? Yeah. My ACL. That was like literally my first real injury that I had surgery or anything on. But I've had other injuries, don't get me wrong, but nothing that I'd like taken that length, like to have surgery or anything. So it was different to be in that space, you know, I think just like coming back from that and the rehab and all that. Where are you at now with it? Oh, I feel great. I mean, what was sort of like that journey of trying to like get back in the rings? I know, I mean, you had been in production meetings, you had been kind of trying on these different hats of like, were you considering stepping into a producer role or was that more so getting you ready to maybe step in and do more commentary? I think I was just trying on a bunch of hats to see what I excelled at, what I was good at, what I really liked. And I love all of those factors. I I really enjoy the commentary. I 
felt like I needed to grow more. I wish I was better. Like it's just you and me both, sister. It's not easy. No, it is. I commend it. Like I commend anyone in those shoes. And it's not until you sit in that role that you can see it from that lens. Right. Like, and I think even as a performer, I've always taken in wrestling from the wrestler's perspective. So I can kind of give that sideways view of it, but it's not really relatable to everyone because they're not thinking in wrestler mode and to have to see it from your perspective and call it to the fans the way they understand. It's just a whole different animal. Because you had called like a couple main events and had kind of like tested the waters a little bit. Yeah. It really is a thing that just takes so much time and it's getting in those reps. And when you're doing them on a show, it's not like you're just like in a booth calling, you know, old matches. We do that every now and then. But when you're on the road, you're just doing it. We are in it and you're doing it. But I thought you were going to bring such a really cool perspective to that role. I mean, looking at what Beth has been able to do, she has like really honed that in. I actually have Beth. uh, We've already recorded the interview with her, but she's going to be aired a little bit later. But we talk about the whole thing of her getting into her comfort zone. She's been doing it for two years now. And now she's feeling like she like kind of has her footing. But it does take that time. And it sucks because it seems like the patience on the other end can be a little bit fleeting, which can be frustrating. I worked with Vic a lot. Vic is who helped me. And obviously Byron, he like really, really helped me like just kind of lead the conversation. So I just tried to follow them, but I'm not as well versed or you do. It kind of comes in like where you come in, you know, like, so I wasn't as familiar with like the Kevin Dunn side or even Michael Cole. And like, I love Cole, but that's not where I came through. So I didn't really know who exactly to talk to or how to get, you know, so I just tried to hone it in and study or do what I could, but I'm like, Oh, it's a whole different way to look at wrestling from that space. So I like, it's, it's, it's hard. It's fun though. It's fun and it's challenging and it's fun to like put your mind in that, like to get in that headspace. But what I found like that, that I always struggled with it was that it, it does take so long to get good at that. Like if I'm not good at something right away, I'm like, this fucking sucks. Like I want to be able to be good at something and it, it that just does not work like that. I'm the same. I'm just so, I hate being like average because everything that we do is in such a bigger public eye. And I don't want to be like, I, I don't want to be the shits at something. And they're like, oh my God, she's terrible. What? I'm not, I'm what? I know <laughs> it's the fucking worst. You're just like under that microscope and like all of these fans that loved you are like, hey, you're kind of shit at this. That's how I felt. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, but it is what it is. Um, were you considering stepping into like a producer role at any point, or is that something that you would want to do in some other capacity or we're just healthy and baby girls getting back in that ring? You know, I don't really know. I do think that obviously I wanted that closing moment, whatever that was like something to kind of tie up that string or put a little bow on it. So then I could mentally and wholeheartedly just step into another role. I think that's generally like, that was just it. Um, I think that I would have done really great at the producer role. I do think it's a hard, it's hard to do that behind the scenes work, the aging of the matches. Kind of a thankless job. It's a really difficult, and I don't know if me, my, personally, on a soul level, I could handle it or how long I could handle it. I just think that I would find it very rewarding yet unrewarding and like kind of, you know, where you were just kind of in this space of, it's awesome, but it's also very stressful. When you think of that job too, it's like, it's one thing and, you know, obviously, I'm take my knowledge of this with a very 
puny grain of salt, but it's like being able to, to put together a match is one thing of creatively helping, you know, if you're working on the women's matches or whatever to like help people get in that mindset. But then it's another thing when you get on like the TV side of things and you're sitting in gorilla and you're sitting next to Vince and he's questioning you about stuff or wondering why a finish is what it is, or if a talent doesn't do what they do. And then that lands on your shoulders. Like that's tough. That is tough. And you're constantly playing that middleman, and it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a hard space to be in. So I don't know. It could have been cool. I don't know because my patience, you know, even in a trainer role, like I feel like I'm such a perfectionist that I don't even know if I'd be too hard on the students, you know, in a space of not nasty, people need but that. just like people demand need a, a little lot. bit of that. No, I know. But then I go, well, my head thinks in more of a creative space. So like character development and that kind of stuff of like promos and gear and like that whole, the whole package kind yeah. of stuff. So I would love to do something with that, like uh, help the younger kids, like come up with their, what they're going to do, that character, what it is. Like, do they have someone at NXT that does that specifically, or it's kind of just producers, everyone kind of chimes in. I mean, I feel like everything sort of fell on Dusty's shoulders from the get-go, but I don't know who kind of steps in now. Is it all just Hunter? Well, I think there's a lot, I mean, there's huge team down there. That's really between, and I think between all of them, they kind of come up with and hopefully the talent, because that's who's really going to pull the character off, right? Like, it's the talent to come up with this character that's really, they think is going to resonate and that they can pull off and do and they want to do, because that's really it, right? Yeah, if you're going to be able to sell something, 100%, it's got to come from your heart. Um, did it seem to you like what could have been a great little bow for you to wrap up at WWE? Because it seemed like you were going into maybe a bit of a storyline with Chelsea Green. That would have been fun. And it would have been such full circle for you, right? I mean, she was doing the fandom thing for you. We started actually doing that on Twitter after the fact, because we, I really, you know, it wasn't good. I didn't really think it was going to happen at that point because they had already pulled it because we shot the stuff and everything for it. And for whatever reason, it just never got approved prior to us even going out there and having the match. And I don't really know what happened. But never had I ever had something like that happen, except for the one time when I debuted with CM Punk on Sunday night heat. And that match got pulled from the episode. That was the only other time I was like, this is wild. I can't believe we just went out there and wrestled and shot all this stuff. And now we're not doing it. I don't understand. That's gotta be such a weird feeling to be like, Hey, we just shot something cool. We've accomplished something great. This is the debut of something interesting. And then all of that air gets sucked out of the room. Yeah. Cause that was supposed to be my comeback or whatever. That was part of my come back from the injury and stuff. And I was like, Oh, this would actually be really, really cool. And it's a cool way to flip the script do it differently, but then maybe hopefully build Chelsea up and do something. And maybe she even like retires me or whatever and be a cool thing to do and a full circle, like little moment. I don't know. It could have been awesome. All right, guys, thanks for hanging with me again over the weekend. You can always go back and check out the full length episodes uh, on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you guys happen to be listening to your podcasts, get those full length, get the, get the whole scoop. We've all got time on our hands right now, don't we? Let's listen to some podcasts. Um, you can also check out these interviews on YouTube. I have my own YouTube page. Uh, just search Renee Paquette. Also, the volume has theirs. You can search theirs. And we've got uh, all those full length episodes up there as well. If you want to see us chat, I would say face to face, but it's Zoom to Zoom but it works. I don't mind it. I don't hate it. It works. It will be nice when the world opens up and we can like do some in-person interviews. Man, what a dream that'll be. I had fun doing those. 
Um, all right, guys, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hopefully you enjoyed this best of episode and I will be talking to you guys next week. We've got some great guests lined up coming up. Hold on to your butts. You're going to like it.